We ask that you'll be remembering the Moore family and the Radley family. In your prayers, I'll be conducting the funerals on Wednesday morning and afternoon. Well, I forgot to bring my iPad up here. But I don't have an iPad to bring up here. But uh, I wanted to look cool. I was going to bring a notebook up here and, and hold it out there like all these young preachers. And uh, But... Uh, I'm getting so old I couldn't even remember to do that. I can't remember my sermon. Remember when I used to memorize my sermons? And uh, now I tell you I'm getting so much sleep on Saturday night instead of staying up all night memorizing my sermon. And I could remember it until noon on Sunday and then everything went blank. So, But we're glad that you're here. Remember my first Sunday, 31 years ago, they said, don't come to church. I said, but I'm the new preacher. They said, don't come to church because nobody will be there. They said that the other Sunday, too, about this Sunday. You shouldn't show up. Nobody's going to be there. But I'm glad that you're here today. And uh, we had a good time at family camp 31 years ago. They announced Bob Phillips, I remember, was the only one out there that we knew, I think, in this community. And uh, he announced that it was my wife's birthday on September the 5th, same as Bob's birthday, same as my dad's birthday on uh, September the 5th. I would like for you to take a Bible. If you don't have your Bible, take a pew Bible in front of you, and I'll tell you what page to turn to. I want you to turn to John 3.30, page 1052 in your pew Bible. Then take a pencil or a pen or something in front of you, and I want you to mark up the Bible, the pew Bible that you've got there, or your own Bible. I want you to underline or highlight these words. Several months ago, Greg mentioned uh, the words from John in the 30th verse. And something kind of stuck with me, and I thought, you know, one of these days I'm going to get to preach again. (laughs) Yeah, on my anniversary, they let me do that because the senior ministers know that nobody's going to be here. So they let me preach on this, this Sunday. Look at verse 30. John 3.30. He must become greater. I must become less. Simon, our music director for the second service, asked me at staff meeting Monday, what are you preaching on, Kent? And I said, I'm preaching on my relationship with Greg. I must become less and he must become greater. I'd never seen Greg turn so red. He just shook his head, and uh, I think he's afraid what I'm going to say today. What tremendous words. Look at them again. In a world in which you and I participate in, that's too often stuffy, stale in its atmosphere, a self-interest, self-assertion, filled with little pronouns of I, me, and mine. Now to hear these words. He must become greater. Christ must become greater. And I must become less. If John the baptizer had never spoken another word, I guess this would be enough. Some of us are here today for whom the great battle for life is just to bring ourselves to the point where we can say the very same words. 
I want Christ to become greater in my life. And I must become least. Now I want you to consider the circumstances. For here's a man who had achieved a solid success. His name was upon every lip. He had a lousy diet, like I do. He had a lousy wardrobe, which my wife says this goat doesn't go with your pants. But he had the crowds in his hand. And then one day someone else appeared on the scene. A young carpenter from Nazareth. And suddenly, the crowd was gone. And John stood there and watched them go. I remember when we started a couple new churches in Michigan. I think I told you. And I remember we had a sending forth service where people from our congregation were going to. We did it with two or three churches going to the new church and we had him come forward and there was a pride in my in myself of thinking boy I'm sending people I'm sending good people I'm sending better people I'm sending eight of my top ten givers and I started crying on the inside but outside I was happy John must have felt things much bigger than that and then all he could say, he must become greater, and I must become less. Think about it. These little words that I heard, a tremendous impact should have in our own lives. I was flipping through the Christian Standard the other day, the new one for September, and they quoted Kyle Eidelman saying this, these words. Greatness isn't something that you ascend to. It is something you descend to. Now we need to remember the amazing extent of the success which John had and enjoyed till then. We can apply some tests in your outline. You'll notice we put down a couple, the test of numbers. In Matthew 3, 5, we read that the people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. He did not have to beg them to come to be evangelized. He didn't have to do any slick advertising to get them to come. He didn't have to have any gimmicks. I remember my dad's church when I was a little, and I still remember today, and you all know about my memory, but I still remember we had a big shot evangelist come, and he announced the first night, if you come back tomorrow, you'll see something that you'll never see again in your whole life. And I got so excited. I even invited people to come to church with me as a little grade school. And then that big shot stood up there behind a pulpit and popped a peanut in his mouth and said, you'll never see me eat that peanut again. <laughs> Boy, I, I was so sad. I, I, I mean, I thought I was going to see something great. And I imagine a lot of you feel that way about some of us preachers. 
You come expecting something great, but they just came. Thousands of them. And then think of the range of the man's appeal. Look at the motley throng again, soldiers, and they were rough and tough, cruel, publicans, tax collectors. I remember in Michigan when I first went up there and I was preaching, there was a new guy in our congregation that day and I didn't know who he was and I was talking and really laying into tax collectors. Guy worked for the IRS and came up and told me that afterward. He didn't appreciate, I think, some of my smart aleck comments. Common sinners were there, but not just them. Not just them. Also, the other end of the scale, the the Pharisees, the leaders of the religious orthodoxy, the the great names in the theological world, the Sadducees, the scientific intelligentsia. So wide was his appeal. Lady visiting today, well, not visiting, she's been here before, but she told somebody she was going to our church Sunday, and they said, oh, you're going down there where all the rich people go. Did you know that? Did you know we're all rich? Man, that's, that's good to know. I would have kept on preaching if I'd have known that. But a wide range appeal. And then the test of the results in character. This was no cheap excitement, John's revival. People were really being converted for life. They turned from the darkness to the light. They turned from the power of Satan to serve the living God. John's movement was a huge success. So great, to your surprise, there are still people today who want to be called by his name. Joe, nobody's caught that. Five. Anybody catch that? John, thank you. Leave that out the next service. And then a young Nazarene. (laughs) Who, by the way, somebody want to be called by that name too. Jesus appears. And John's high hour was done. I can see three things that must have made this a terribly difficult experience for the baptizer. For one thing, he had given up everything for his life's work. He was a homeless dweller in the desert. He didn't have anything. A little bit different than some of the TV evangelists that we might idolize or or think well of living in their multi-million dollar areas. And now only failure seemed his reward. Haven't you ever repeated the words of Jesus from the cross? When you set out your life scheme for, for great things, you've given everything up, And then you failed. Haven't you ever cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think of what the disciples thought when they'd left everything to follow after Jesus. 
families, occupations, and less than three years. He tells them he would soon leave them. And he understood their hearts. And one day with them he said, let not your hearts be troubled. And something told him that the crowd was gone for good, not come back like a lot of times we see in our churches. I remember before I came to Clinton, I interviewed in a church in the Indianapolis suburbs, and they say, oh, we have a couple hundred additions a year. Yeah, some people come from this church, and then they get unhappy, and they go to the they come and join our church, then they get unhappy, and they go on. There was like about 100 churches in a 100-mile radius of Indianapolis. They came, and they were changed. And now they left, never to come back again but to follow Christ. I don't suppose to John the crowds meant that much but his best, most promising friends and, and disciples left him and joined Jesus. Andrew, John, left alone, this baptizer. He might have disliked Christ. He might have been filled with jealousy. But look at those words again. They should stick out, and that's why I want you to underline it when somebody's flipping through this pew Bible They'll see those words stick out. He must increase. And I must decrease. Now how did John manage this? He was able to do it because he had a life that was rooted in the Lord God. If he had not had the background of God in, his, in, his, in this crisis, I'm sure he'd gone to pieces. Without some hold of God, life at such times that you and I have had to go through can become very hellish. But with God, things won't be easy. Like we hear some TV evangelists, give your life to God, everything's going to work out perfect. I thought of that in seventh grade when I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized. I thought, man, I'm going to have to go through initiation. Wrong. Wrong. A lot of people preach, you know, if you give your money to our program, then everything will work out great for you. But with God, he gives you a foundation for your feet to stand on while the inevitable fight for your soul is faced. John also saw that there was something in Jesus which he himself did not possess. His preaching had been all sternness, ruggedness, Denunciation, fear of hell. Young preacher moved into town right after I moved here a few years later. And he came to me and said, Ken, I've got a problem and I, I need to talk to you. I said, what's the matter? And he said, well, they've called me on the carpet. Just a little church here in town. I think it still is, matter of fact. But they condemned him for his preaching. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I'm sure many people feel the same way about me. But he said, uh, they say I don't preach enough of hellfire and brimstone. They say I preach the gospel. But I'm not preaching enough hellfire. You know, a lot of people 
And I used to kind of preach like that. I would chew people out. I used to be a basketball coach, and it was like a halftime locker when you're 20 points down, locker room talk, and just berate people. People would begin to sweat. They'd walk out the door and say, boy, we really enjoyed the sermon today, kid. <laughs> really enjoyed that. You know, they'd paid their penalty for their sins for one more week, you know, and then they're going to come back again, and then the preacher's going to, and boy, they really like it. And they paid it. Don't change their lives, but they paid their price. I told him that was a compliment. Well, he said, well, I, I think I made another mistake. And I said, what happened? He said, well, this lady just said she just didn't like it and, and that I needed to move. And I thought, well, lady, I said, you know, if you really don't like the way I preach and everything, why don't you move and find another church? She said, I didn't know. Her family was the backbone of that congregation. A few weeks later, he moved. Uh, you know, you don't confront certain people. The baptizer cried out, repent, repent. Whereas Jesus led them beyond all that. And he opened up the road to heaven for their wandering feet. Jesus shows to us the fatherhood of God that God loves us like a father should love his children but the deepest difference was that John knew that he was just a common sinner like to those whom he preached he knew of his own solitary struggle for his own soul Jesus had no sin. He could lift men up to God. John is thinking, who am I to speak this way? I thought of that in my ordination in 1960. I was 20 years old, 19, 20. I was preaching down a little church in Sydney, Illinois. And, uh, and those poor people will get special reward in heaven for putting up with a teenager that yelled and screamed and almost jumped up on the piano once in my excitement of preaching. But it didn't do accomplish a whole lot. I remember my ordination thinking, who am I? To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ with all of my problems, with all of my sins. Who am I to speak the things of God? John must have thought of that. And then he says, I, he must become greater. And I must become less. You see, in our modern society today, it does not matter who does the work. As long as the work gets done. And we're very slow to realize this in our own congregations. Our attitudes often say, it does matter who does the work, and it's going to be done by me. And so Christian service gets mixed up with the questions of precedence and 
and Christian people grow sensitive about personal things. Why did you leave church? Well, I didn't like what they said, or they wouldn't let me do this, or, or somebody else complained about that, and on and on and on it goes. I've seen it for 51 years. No. How long have I been preaching now? 53, 4. What is today? <laughs> what year is this? 70, 2014. 54 years I've been preaching. Time flies when we're having so much fun. It's not something new. It's not something new at all. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians in your New Testament to the third chapter. For Paul says, you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field, God's building. Wonder what would happen. In the modern religious scene today, if we would put aside our movements, our church names, our denominations, get them out of sight, wonder what would happen in Clinton when they said and announced that they were going to tear down the courthouse. I went to the mayor and said, I've got a great idea. We need to put one big church building up on the square and close all the other churches and have just one church for Clinton. And he says, who will be the preacher? I said, well, of course I will. You know, I mean, <laughs> it seems only logical to me. But really, without trying to be funny, what if all of us, all Christians decided simply to magnify Jesus Christ. This applies to our individual service. When you talk to a person about Christ and you lead them to Christ, when you reach the point where Christ is really seen in their lives, will you have the grace to step back and let them step forward in their new life in Christ? Are you willing to say, don't look at me, look at him? This must be the keynote of our inner life. For all of us have something of self and something of Christ within us. But he must increase and we.
we must decrease. Is Christ in us gaining ground? Father, we often become so selfish and are concerned about ourselves. And may we open up our lives and let you move through us. Let us understand that you have given us new reason for living and the hope of new life in you. May you increase. May we decrease and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.